Hello, my friends, and welcome to the latest edition of the Quadcast, the podcast mainly for and about folks like me who have had their lives affected by a spinal cord injury, but is really for anyone who just wants to be inspired. So, have you missed us? Well, we have certainly missed you. Following my Be It Ever So Humble, There Is No Place Like Home episode starring the talented interior designer Megan Blau from Blue Copper Design, we have taken a month hiatus. I promise you it was not on purpose. I just have not been able to nail down some prospective guests. That said, if there is someone you think I should highlight or that would make for an inspirational listen, I'm all ears please email me at jmacalevy at comcast.net or text me at 973-202-3579. And now on to today's show. Life is truly amazing, and as such, we meet and interact with many, many people throughout the course of our journeys. Mostly they come and go, and that is that. But there are a rare few that truly stick with you, even if you haven't spoken with them in many years. My guest today is one of them, and our relationship did not start out on the best of terms. I met Joe Fabio in November of 1992. I was a newbie inpatient at Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation, and he was a grizzled veteran doing outpatient therapy. Because the inpatient and outpatient therapy gyms were conducted separately, I would only see him in the hallways, in the cafeteria. I found it funny that each time he got close to me, one of my therapists would quickly rush over and push me away. Then one day Joe sidled up beside me, and I found out for myself the reason why. He was, shall we say, a negative influence? Heck, Joe was a Debbie Downer. All he talked about was wanting out of his situation and that his life as a disabled person was not necessarily worth living. Well, as someone that was new to the lifestyle, it wasn't exactly the message I wanted to hear. I remember thinking, geez, this guy is too much. But I also remember thinking that I really liked him. He was brutally honest and upfront. You knew exactly what was on Joe's mind. He was also my age and a sports fan, so we had that in common. I always enjoyed seeing him, except that he was still incessantly harping on how bad things were and always would be. It got to the point where I just tuned his pity party out, which was too bad because he had a great sense of humor, and at the end of the day, we did share this common bond. I did lose track of Joe in the mid to late 90s, but walking the hallways of Kessler as a frequent flyer to outpatient therapy would often reminisce about the old days chatting with my friend. I don't think anyone that has an injury that completely alters their life ever really understands, accepts, or embraces what happens to them. I just think for better or worse, after time, they pick up the pieces and move along as best they can with whatever they still have. It is in that respect, I believe, that they gain the upper hand on the entire situation. To me, those who wallow in sorrow and anger ultimately let their injury win. But who doesn't love a comeback story? It just so happens that I've got one for you today. And when we come back from this commercial break, my friend and soon-to-be-yours Joe Fabio will tell you all about his. Hi, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin, the radio play-by-play announcer for the New Jersey Devils. If you like what you're hearing from John McAlevey on today's show, then you'll want to check out more Sports Now's podcast. 
You know, John's a huge sports fan, and each week he joins me and Steve Titchener for a spirited roundtable discussion on what's going on in sports on both sides of the Hudson. Our podcast can be heard at moresportsnow.com, but also on iTunes, Spotify, and iHeart. I hope you'll check us out. And welcome back to the Quadcast, your weekly 30 to 45-minute session of OT and PT for the Soul. It is now time, and let me say, welcome to the show, Joe Fabio. Nice to be here, John. Oh, boy. It's great to hear your voice. And now, Joe, if you have been listening to my shows, I've got 17 of them to date. I know that you probably have listened to maybe one of them. You know, all my friends uh, sort of blow it all off. But uh, that goes without saying. I, I usually give my shows a uh, a title. And I was thinking, what could I come up with for my sit-down chat with Joe Fabio? And two of the ones that I came up with, one were uh, one was a Road to Redemption, I thought might be a good one. Uh, or the other one was To Hell and Back, the Joe Fabio story. Do you like either one of those? I like the Hell and Back ones. <laughs> Well, as you heard, folks, from my intro, uh, Joe certainly has gone to hell and back. I remember we first met um, in, I guess it was November or December of 1992. I was a newbie at Kessler and you were uh, old hat. Uh, You were in outpatient therapy and I was just getting started. Um, And as a fan of the uh, the television series The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. I don't know if you watch that stuff, but I do. Uh, when I first met you, I would not have given you the first impression, Rose, because uh, you were uh, you were not the happiest of campers. Do you remember that? Yeah, yes, to say the least. Yeah, to say the least. Well, why don't we begin at the beginning? What I usually like to do uh, when I have a guest come on is uh, find out a little bit about who Joe Fabio was before the spinal cord injury. Uh, the word pre-morbid is what I learned. So we'll find out about what you were like pre-morbidly. Where did you grow up, Joe? John, I grew up in a small town, uh, Palisades Park, New Jersey, uh, right in, the, in Bergen County, Fort Lee area. Um, it was a very small town and everybody knew each other. Like yourself, I was really big into sports. And like you had said on your podcast, that it just depended on the season. My main sport was football as I was quite large, you know, six foot, 240 pounds at high school. And we basically just played and played and played. There were no computer games like there are today. And it was just a wonderful time. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have a group of guys that were your, your main buds that you would meet up with after school and just go out and and play around? Yeah, my best friend and his brother lived about 10 houses down the block. And I have two brothers. They're both younger by a year and a half. So we had a group of five right off the bat to do anything we wanted. And then we had other friends who lived in an immediate area that we could just knock on doors and run to the field. Not like you see today. It kills me. Uh, We have these beautiful fields where I live, and there's never a soul on them. Yeah. And this is uh, pre-COVID, right? This is even before all of that. Oh, yeah. 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 The kids, if I try to get a couple of kids together 
to play basketball with my son, you would you would think I need a court order. <laughs> That's the way of the world nowadays, right? Everybody is just in on their machines. Yeah. They they don't really understand what life used to be like prior to these video games. It was a whole different reality. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was uh, that was a young Joe. What about when you got up uh, into high school and uh, and that whole thing? And, and what was the what was the plan? What were what were you going to be uh, doing as a as a grown up as far as work and as far as what the what the world was going to look like for you? Well, in high school, I wasn't the best of students. I didn't. That's a apply myself. I didn't apply myself as as I should have. Yes. Um, that's the term that all the guidance counselors used because my parents hit me with that one as well. Yes. The one on my report card always used to be maintains self-control issues. <laughs> and, you know, I was very popular. I was a president of my high school class. I was vice president of the school. And basically it was just having a great time through high school, taking the SATs and off to college. Uh, you know, when I went to college, I really wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I was always a really good talker. And everyone said I either had to be a lawyer or a salesman. <laughs> or both. Or both, yes. Yeah. So was that sort of the plan? Did you kind of think about going in either one of those directions? Yeah, actually it was the plan. And I, I went to college i went to ramapo college okay and i bumped into one of my classmates who happened to have a landscape business and he wanted me to work for him and i had been doing a little landscaping on my own you know in the town cutting people's lawns and stuff like that and then i started working for him and it morphed itself into this major business while I was going to school full time. Okay. And the biggest regret I have is while all my college classmates were doing internships for Minolta and other companies, I was, you know, making money. Yeah. I was landscaping and working money. I used to sh show up to school with grass on my clothes and go to class. And the money was just pouring in. Yeah. And I didn't think of the long term. It was just more of the immediate gratification of all this money. In hindsight, I wish I would have done the, the internship. internship. Yeah. They are very valuable. But you were learning and, how to run a business. You were probably putting a payroll together. You probably had guys that were working for you. Um, so oh, you no, were... I, I didn't have my I didn't have my own business. I was working for. Okay. Two different two different landscape companies. Okay. And what wound up happening was I actually went on job interviews after I graduated from college. Okay. And I remember sitting in an uh, interview and the interview wasn't really going that well. Mm -hmm. And I realized why it wasn't going that well. And I said to the gentleman who was interviewing me, I said, the problem with this interview is that I make more money right now than you do. <laughs> and you're interviewing me for a job. Uh... And, I, and I got up and I left. You did. And 
I promptly started my own landscape construction company okay. named Fabulous Landscape Inc. Oh, look at you. Very. Yes. Yeah, you're, uh, you're quick. Very quick. I very witty. Be, I didn't want it to be the typical Joe Fabio landscaping or right. Fabio landscaping. I wanted to put a little twist on it, and yep. it worked out well. Yes, you did. Yes, and you I was did. In my, I was in my second year of growing the business when my life took, as we all know, that tragic turn. Well, now you bring us to that point. Why don't you take us to that day of your injury? Where were you? Uh, what time of year was it? Take us through um, the day, as you said, that changed your life. Well, I was invited on a friend's bachelor party, and we all flew down to Miami. And we weren't in Miami for more than six hours. And we were all at the pool mid-August, August 16th, 1991. And I just wanted to dive into the pool and get wet because we were all conversing at the bar, started to have a couple of drinks, and I dove in. I hit the bottom with my head and became instantly paralyzed. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Joe, was 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 the pool like half empty? Was it completely full? Were you somewhat intoxicated? Take us, you know, tell me what, what no, the pool, circumstances the were. Pool had, the pool had three feet of water in it. It wasn't enough to accommodate, you know, my body size and the weight. Right. And you know, I had dove into many pools before all my life. Yeah. I was a swimmer and I couldn't even, I'd scrape my head a few times, yep. but never hitting it like that. And, becoming instantly paralyzed. Never thought in those other years about putting your hands out in front of you, right? It was just easier to just head in, head in head first. I think I did have my hands out in front of me. I'm not 100% sure. Right. But I just do know that my head hit the bottom and I instantly went numb. Yeah. And I knew nobody was in the water with me. Panic? Do you knew, start to panic? Well, I knew I had two options because my body was kind of spinning in the water. Yeah. And my mouth would come to the top. And I said I could either yell for help every time my mouth came to the top or I could take a breath. And I realized I wasn't going to be able to take that many breaths. Right. So I decided to yell for help. And each time I would yell for help, the water would go in. Sure. So I eventually drowned oh, in God. that pool. Uh, two people saw a limp body floating in the water oh god and they just pulled it out and put it right onto the pool deck unbelievable and who who helped you, know you? who saved you uh was a, a couple a young couple and if you know anything about cervical neck injuries from watching football on tv or car crashes the first and most important thing is to stabilize the neck right and they pulled me out of the water. Grant you, they did not know right. what had happened. Sure. And my head was probably bouncing around like a carrot. Yeah. And so they didn't think to stabilize anything. But at that point, they saved your life. But who knows if they had done irreparable damage? Is that what you're trying to say? Put me back to life by pumping my stomach um, right there on the pool deck. Wow. And, um, you know, everything was kind of foggy. Right. And I knew they were taking me down to the emergency room. Right. And I had I had told my friend, listen, 
just give me a couple of minutes. I'll be fine. And they were like, no, we got to go have you checked out. And they had me checked out. And turns out I broke C5-6 cervical, which started in motion a foray of phone calls to my parents back in New Jersey, having to get a flight down to Miami. Being a parent myself, uh, you know, I can only imagine what they were going through. Sure. Now, Joe, did they take you? um, Did you go to uh, the main hospital there in Miami? Were, Were you involved at all? In, uh, in the Miami project, the whole Bonacani situation, did they get you involved with that? Actually, I was. I was taken to the University of Miami, and I was actually had a fusion. I was one of the first to ever receive titanium plates in my neck, and I was operated on by Dr. Green. Really? Who runs the Miami project. You're kidding. I was going to ask, did you did you get to uh, deal with Dr. Green at all? Boy, that's unbelievable. So you yeah, were he, uh, like Project X. Yeah, I was Project X. Wow. Good for you, Joe. And that, how soon after uh, you're taken from the cruise ship to the hospital do they do the surgery? Well, I had drowned in salt water and I had pneumonia. Oh, God. So, for, I was in a coma for three days. They Do you remember any of this? The only thing I vividly remember was when they had they had put the halo in my head to stabilize my neck. Mm-hmm. And they had to transfer me from the bed to the MRI machine to do an MRI. And I remember the pain being so intense when they moved me because they had to hold the weight. And if I know you, Joe, you also remembered all of the pretty nurses that were probably at your beck and call. Yeah, I I actually did. Yeah, of course, I know. I know, that's my Joe. I knew that that would be the case. So you do the surgery. Uh, Dr. Green puts the titanium in the neck. Um, and then what is the uh, course of action after that? When are you uh, airlifted back here to Jersey? And when do you start your affiliation with Kessler Institute? Well, what happened was my my parents obviously had flown down to Miami. And my brothers had flown down to Miami. And all, all of a sudden, I realized where I was being at the Miami Project and found out that I was in the best place in the world have a spinal cord injury and i did not want to go home but i said i want i want to be in the best place and i was constantly told by the doctors that listen this is going to be a very long extensive rehab and you're better off going home and doing rehab at home There are many qualified rehab centers where you live and your family and friends can be around you. It would be much better than staying here. I had made the decision that I was going to come home. Right. And then something wanted to keep me there. Mm -hmm. At night, for some unknown reason, I began spiking fevers. And Kessler would not take any admission if you have a fever and they were trying to get me in, but I had every night I had this fever and this went on. And finally the doctor said to the nurse tonight, don't take his temperature or we'll never get rid of him. And that's that's how I made my 
trip to Kessler. Unbelievable. So you show up there as an inpatient and, and how long did you, um, how long were you an inpatient and tell me a little bit about, um, you know, your life suddenly in a wheelchair, you know, seeing yourself in the mirror, uh, in the wheelchair, how that started to formulate, you know, your, your opinion of, uh, the new life you were leading, uh, your, your, negative thoughts and and how did all that all come about well obviously i got to kessler and i wasn't happy about the situation but if you know anything about spinal cord injuries they're grouped into two different dramatic groups one are the incomplete injuries and the other are the complete injuries the difference being the incomplete injuries you have a much higher likelihood of regaining control, function, and the ability to go back to your likely injury is where that a very, very limited process. And I know that you and I have been very close friends going back almost 30 years. Yeah. And you knew Joe, a.k.a. B. had uh, not a great attitude, Fabio. Yeah. Yeah, I sure do. In fact, I did my my intro. Um, I remember when I was first there, um, whenever you would come around, I- I'll never forget this. My PT at the time, Hillary, or my OT, uh, Dawn or uh, Christy, when they would see you come wheeling into the gym, they would physically come over and move me. They did not want me to be around you because, um, you know, you were the quote unquote you know, negative uh, output guy, uh, the the Debbie Downer sort of like, don't let the new guy who's just figuring out that his life really sucks now um, yeah. to be around Joe, who uh, basically just wanted someone to push him down the big hill at Kessler into oncoming traffic. So uh, that's what well, the, I remember thing, early on. And and I knew the that, thing she- that the thing that most don't know, and you, I know you don't know it until now, but when I arrived, that wasn't the Joe Fabio that arrived at Kessler. Is that right? The the Joe Fabio who arrived at Kessler was actually very optimistic and basically was like, put me in the gym, just leave me there. Yeah. And I will be fine. Because when I was in Miami, I was told that I had an incomplete injury. Oh. And that's where my mindset was, and I really knew in my heart of hearts that I was going to get better. Yeah. Then when when did you find out that that was not the case? Did the doctor come in and just sort of spring that on you? Oh, it was sprung on me, but not by the doctor. Oh, boy. I was in the therapy room, and I was on the tilt table working out with my therapist. And we started talking about my injury, and she said I was a complete injury. And I said, no, no, you you have that mistaken. I said, I am an incomplete injury. And she said, no, no, you are a complete injury. And make a long story short, Barbara was nice enough to go and get my folder. Oh, great. So she had to prove it to you. Oh, and we opened up that folder. Right there in the therapy room. Oh, good grief. And it says complete injury? And she pointed to the two words that just came out of your mouth, complete injury. And that was it. That completely changed your mindset and 
Um, oh, you know, it was worse than that. I started screaming in the therapy room to get me out of here. Is that right? They they could not get me off that tilt table fast enough mm. into my chair and back to my room. Really? How long had you been there at the time? How long had you been rehabbing? I would say so, several weeks. Yeah. And after that, I was in my room beyond depressed, realizing that the game was now over. Yeah. And pretty much no matter how hard I tried or what I did, this was going to be my life. And that's when the Joe Fabio that you know and love became the... The Debbie Downer. The Debbie Downer of Kessler. Yeah. Yeah. You sort of haunted the hallways. But, you know, Joe, I, I always knew there was there was something there. I, listen... I was not a happy camper. My life was just, you know, the rug just got pulled out from me as well. Uh, maybe not so much as bad as as yourself and other folks, but I was not good as new. Um, so I was dealing with all of that. But I, I knew um, deep down there was something about you that I gravitated to. I liked you. I liked your sense of humor. I liked that you were blunt. You're a Jersey guy. You'd tell you what's what's you know on your mind, whether you like it or not. You were a sports guy. We had the whole Michael Jordan and the Bulls and the Knicks thing going. So I, I gravitated to you. I wanted to be around you, but I felt, part of me felt, not sad, but that, that you were so down all the time. And I just thought, this is such a great guy. You know, yeah, it sucks. But at some point you got to get beyond it and around it and through it. And you got to tell me, when did that light switch go off for you? Because we lost track of each other probably around 95 or 96. Um, and then we, we got back in touch. I think it was around 2007 um, when I met you just at a random function at Kessler. And you were like this new guy. And I'm thinking, wait a second, who the heck is this guy? He looks the same, uh, still as handsome as ever, but you had completely flipped the switch. It was a 180. When, you know, did this all come together? When did the light switch go off for you? Well, the light switch never went off. And I think that anyone who actually does somehow find their way will attest that it's not a light switch situation. When I went home, I was a 25-year-old, you know, young man, and I was in a whole different place. And I just started working out at my home with weights, and it just was as I became more functional and my friends were around and forced me to go out and do things, it made me start to come along a little bit at a time. And finally, I think the ending was just maturity. When you take somebody who's 25 and now you throw 10 years on them and make them 35, you're not a kid anymore. Sure. You don't think like a kid anymore. And how about, Joe, how do you think that that affected your parents? Do you think that they... You know, it was probably just, as you said, um, as a parent, you can't imagine they get that phone call that your son has a spinal cord injury. Now he's been mooning around the house saying that his life is over and he just wants to die 24 hours a day. You know, once you got to that point where you matured a little bit, was that sort of a weight off of their back as well? Absolutely. I mean, my mother was just a mess. I mean, yeah. she used to give me my breakfast and then she would just go in her room and cry, come out for lunch 
give me some lunch, go back into the room and cry, yeah. come out for dinner. And we, we repeat this three times a day, every day. And she only started to get better as my mental and emotional outlook became better. That's awesome. And then from there, Joe, um, what you told me when we, when we met up that, that afternoon um, was that you're doing peer counseling and motivational speaking. And, oh, not only that, but that you've gotten married and you have like a one-year-old son. And I'm thinking, this guy is completely putting me on. Where is the candid camera show here? Uh, wh where's the, the hidden camera that's going to punk me? Because you were the furthest thing from any of those things. So you, you finally mature. Where does the public speaking come into it? Was that, a, was that a Kessler thing? Was that a think first stuff? Well, I used to do unofficial peer counseling at Kessler because they were very afraid of who I was going to speak to and <laughs> what I was going to say. <laughs> and everyone full knew that there was no censoring me and I was going to be brutally honest. Yeah. There's no but, edit switch with you, Joe. But I was fortunate that when I was in Miami, I had some wonderful young men who had been hurt for years be brutally honest with me. It works. Yeah. And you felt that you, you could need, put that on other people. Yeah, yeah. And that's the way I am in general. Yes. And I wasn't going to, you know, one of the biggest things I always told people when I met them and counseled them was they have a bathroom schedule right. of every other day. And they preach this. And I said, listen, your life can't work that way. The weekends have to be yours. You have to take something back right. from your life. So you're going to go to the bathroom on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you're going to skip the weekend. Yeah, because you got to give these, yourself a break, right? You got to live your life. Well, and these young people who are hurt would look at me and be like, can I do that? <laughs> That's not what it says in the textbook, right? That's not what it says in the SCI manual. Right. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. You've always been one to color outside the lines, haven't you, Joe? Yeah, outside the book. <laughs> and then I happen to be very close with Sandy DeLeon. Oh, I love Sandy DeLeon. We miss her. Yes. And we were very close. And she, for forever, was trying to recruit me to be a speaker for the Think First program. Right. To go out to the schools. Yeah. She hooked me in to doing all that. And, um, and it's good. I, one day, it happened to be on Valentine's Day. I always remember it. And she said, I'm doing a program in Woodridge. It's not that far from your house. She said, just come and observe. And I said, it must have been a weak moment. And I said, okay. <laughs> Who could, who could say no to Sandy, though, really, at the end of the day? She was just yeah. such an amazing advocate for so many people. So and tell us, you showed up and... Uh, I show up I show up at the Woodridge School. And to this day, I don't know if I was being played. <laughs> but after we got there, the speaker had to cancel for today. Oh, she was sandbagging you, Joe. <laughs> and I just looked at her and I said, do you want me to give it a shot? <laughs> she said, only if you're willing. She had that little gleam in her eye. And and how long I, were you up there? Like, And two hours later, you came down from the stage? I did a 45-minute program. I cut myself short. Yeah. Now, did she give you like some guidelines as to what, no. you, you know, just some framework? No. 
No, she just said, go do your, go do whatever you want to do. Oh, boy. And, and what, what grade I, was this? Was this high school age? Was it middle school? It was high school. It was oh, high school. God. I'm and shooting. she said, just she just took the reins off and she just said, go do whatever you want to do. And I did. And I and I had a standing ovation when I was done. And I the kids filed out and she looked at me and she said, however you want to start and whatever you want to do. Yeah. She goes, the schedule is wide open for you. You have arrived, uh, right? She said, you yeah. have arrived. It's nice to meet you, Joe Fabio. I like this version of Joe Fabio more than the one that was... Uh, Haunting the Kessler hallways, wanting to be pu yeah. pushed off the roof. I remember that when you used to tell Juice, just bring me to the roof and give me a shove. Yeah. Well, remember? Yeah. They, they never got me to the roof and they never got me to the hill. No, no. Well, you it's not, it wasn't for a lack of trying. You asked anybody and everybody with two ears, my friend. That was, yeah. uh, that was a given. So, so the, the motivational slash peer counseling speaker was, uh, was born, uh, and you wound up doing that. Then Joe, um, tell me I about, actually wound, I actually wound up running the program oh, God. for, for several years and wound up, um, working with the national team to um, build the website. And I also did two conventions, one in Orlando and one in New Orleans. So you were traveling? Yeah. Unbelievable. Tell me then, Joe, about, um, you know, becoming a husband, finding a wife, and then having a child, because that seemed for me to be the furthest thing. I remember, you know, you just figured because you were in this wheelchair, you were off limits, you were an ogre and nobody would even look at you. So, yeah. uh, you know, to, to even put yourself out there, I know was a, was a non-starter for you, at least back in the early nineties. When, you know, did that door open up again for you and how did that all come about? Like I said, that, that door opened very, very slowly. As I started to feel better about myself, um, I actually went on a, a couple of dates and then it just, you know, moved forward from there. And, you know, people would say, like, you're crazy. Girls are still interested in you. And my my big thing was I don't want to embarrass anyone by having them be seen with me. And that took a long time. And. I happened to be using my computer and I subscribed to Match and uh, I, I came across this wonderful girl from Brooklyn and one thing led to another. She came up. We, we had our first date. We had a really great time. We just, she just kept coming back and it was great. And well, about a year. It's that year, magnetism year, that you have, Joe. Yes. About, about a year later, um, we actually got married. Unbelievable. And, yeah. It and, is unbelievable. Now, let me let me ask you, as someone who is hopelessly single and really hasn't gotten to the point to really put myself out there. Would I mean, you like me to help them with that? Maybe. I, I guess maybe I'm just cheap. I don't want to pay the fee for the monthly thing. Um, now you've got a match profile put together. When do you get around and how do you get around putting on there that you're a C5, C6 complete quad or does that not come up? I actually didn't put it on the profile, and I'll tell you why. Because most people wouldn't understand what a C5-6 person was. And to say I'm in a wheelchair, it, I always felt it would be too confusing. Mm -hmm. So I always kind of wanted to explain myself. <laughs> and I put the profile out there, 
And then anyone who responded, I was very upfront with them right away and said, hey, listen, I want to explain this. I understand if you no longer wish to continue, but I have to be honest with you of who and what I am. Right. And how many folks did that scare off? It scared off uh, some. Some it didn't. Uh-huh. You know, um, Debbie, who I about eventually married, it obviously didn't scare her off. Mm-hmm. She was great about it. And, you know, still and still is. And we're married for, you know, 16 years. Unbelievable. And th- three years after we were married, we had um, our son, Joey. Who tell, me is about, now, tell me about fatherhood. How, how did that further change who you were? Well, fatherhood was always a scary proposition for me because I wanted to be a father desperately, but also didn't want my son or daughter growing up to be burdened by my dad's in a wheelchair. Right. And that was was always a major consideration for me. And that seemingly was more in your head than probably would have been theirs, I guess, right? Possibly. You never know how the the children are going to take it. It just so happens that we have a wonderful boy who couldn't be more well-adjusted. My wife and I both work with him, and we've spoken to him since he was young, and he's always been there, helped me anytime I needed it. And I I couldn't have asked for a better son. Right. In terms of, you know, being okay with my disability. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, if you were to ask him, he would tell you how proud he is of you because, you know, he sees it's not easy. You know, this life that we both lead and the folks that are, uh, that have had injuries like this, it ain't easy. We, We make it look easy maybe, but it certainly isn't. And I'm sure that he's, um, profoundly proud of who you are as as much as you are of him um and i understand he's a big basketball player yeah he's a very big basketball player he plays competitive basketball 12 months a year um he's fortunate that he has the body type for it he just turned 14 and he's five foot 10 inches tall already wow where does that come from is that your wife's side of the family the height yeah, it's my wife's side of the family. Okay. Our, fa- our father was very tall. Okay. And I hope, um, I-, I can't imagine he's a Chicago Bulls fan because they stink right now. Who who do you have him pulling for? Is he is he like a, a Durant guy now in Brooklyn? Who's he, who's he pulling for? He's a Warriors fan. Oh, what a surprise. Just like everybody grew up a Yankees fan. Yeah, well, anyone who shoots the three he likes. Okay. Okay, so he's a Steph Curry guy and a Clay Thompson and all of that good stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. I- I'm so happy, Joe. I'm so proud that you were uh, able to to cross both of those milestones. Getting married uh, and having a child are two amazing things that I have not yet uh, crossed those off of my bucket list. But heck, there's still time, right? I'm only 52. You're 52 and you're in the prime of your life. Yeah. Well, I see it. Yeah. On the horizon. Too. All right. Well, when we're finished recording this, I'm going to have you put a uh, add to my profile on one of the one of the dating sites, and we'll see uh, if that will uh, come to fruition. I think we should tell folks uh, about the you know you and I used to bust each other's chops a little bit. You had a a really fun sort of a pet nickname for me. Would you like to tell uh, everybody what that was and the meaning behind it? Yeah. Well, before I tell them what the nickname was, when we were in Kessler, pretty much. Everyone was in chairs, and it was like a chair community. We would all be sitting around, and 
all these guys and girls would all be in chairs. Right. And here comes this guy, obviously had something going on. Yeah. But he was walking around. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm looking at him. And he's, and he's a good looking, nice guy. Quick as a quick as a whip. I think the term Joe was that you're looking for is timelessly handsome. I think that's what you were grasping for. But yes, go on. Thank you for helping me out with that. Yeah, go on. Finish it off. And I just I looked at you, John, and I just said, This guy is a half a quad. <laughs> I wasn't and a full, full fledged, you know, right? I was only half. We're not a full fledged quad. Yeah. And I'm like, you know. Right. Half a quad. You're just going to have to be 0.5. <laughs> Everybody and else I, was 1.0, right? I, I couldn't get yeah. in the club. And I'm like, you're just going to have to be a half. And that's was my name for you. And I don't think after that, I ever called you Johnny or Johnny Mac. It was just 0.5. I remember I'd come down the hallway and I'd say, hey, here comes 0.5. And I remember our dear friend at the time who who used to help us in the pool and in therapy. Remember Brad? Yes, bless his. God bless, bless his soul. His heart, man. Yeah, he passed away about 10 years ago. Um, Brad used to say, why does he call you 0.5? And I said, you know, Brad, I, I really don't know right off the bat. And then uh, and then you told the whole story and the two of us used to just shake our head. You know, oh, here comes 0.5. I'd always be late for the pool. You'd be in there. Um, and you'd have that uh, that grin on your face and that laugh. And uh, so, yeah, that was very creative of you, 0.5, because I, I was not in a chair. It was an endearing 0.5. <laughs> I don't think my parents quite knew what the heck it meant, but uh, after no. I figured it out, I uh, I um, I guess I wore it as a badge of honor. You know, I I wanted to for all of the 0.5s that are out there, um, I wanted to uh, to carry the mantle high, um, and so I just sort of dealt with it and and got in on the joke. But I thought that that was pretty funny, so I knew. Yes, I but just like just like I said before about our children not understanding how we grew up. Yeah. Also, the newly injured spinal cord patients who now come to the rehab don't understand how we did our rehab. Right. We we stayed for a long time and we were able to make very long-lasting relationships. Sure. Because we were there for five months or six months. Mm. Now... When spinal cord patients come in, the first week that they're there, they're already planning their discharge because of the new insurance regulations. And they don't get a chance to spend the time to build the relationships that we did. Right. Now, last two for me, Joe. Last two questions. If the new Joe Fabio could have sat down with the old Joe Fabio, what would you tell that young guy and also newly injured people um, about life as a someone who has, is now suddenly disabled? What would be your advice? Well, what I would tell the old Joe Fabio is you're going to have to find your way. And actually is the same thing I do tell the newly injured people I speak with. I say that one size does not fit all. Right. And don't try to live someone else's life and mold yours after them. Analogy that I always try to give is you're in the middle of a maze. 
and you need to find your way out right. by yourself. Because all the people who are screaming on the outside of the maze can't see where you are, can't feel what you're going through, and don't understand. You're the only one who is going to be able to find your way out. And you will, right? At some point, you will. It's This is not you know, a uh, uh, death sentence. This is something that, yeah, it's not ideal and you're you're going to have to deal with it, but you will make it through the end of the, uh, to get to the end of that maze. Well, one of the questions that you had asked before was like when the light switch went off. Right. And I think after a while, when you're hurt for whatever the period of time is, that, your life has to go one way or another, either going to get better and you're going to get into life or you're going to spiral downward and just be a non-issue. And that happens at some point and that decision needs to be made. Yeah. And as you said, one size does not fit all. So it doesn't happen for everybody at the same time. No, it doesn't. And it's it's very personal and no one can really help you. Right. You got to help yourself and find your way through it. Joe, last one for me is, and I ask all the folks that come on with me who have uh, had SCIs, um, if I could snap my fingers right now, which I physically can't do, so you're not going to hear me doing it into the microphone in the background, but if I could snap those fingers and you were be completely healed right now through the telephone, what is the first thing that you would do? Well, I've always said that, I was just automatically made better. Good as new. Good as new. First thing I would want to do is get a hotel room for a weekend by myself and just be able to take care of myself, feed myself, and not have to rely on anyone for help and just truly be independent. That is awesome. I was not expecting that. You know, when I had Eric Legrand on, he said the first thing he would do, he said, first thing you want to know? I said, yeah. He said, I would open my front door and run out of my house butt naked right in the middle of the street. Uh, and mine was always, I would get my headsets on, I would get my music and uh, and my um, uh, Walkman, which doesn't exist anymore. Google that, kids. That's, that's 100 years old now. But I'd go out for a nice long run and let the sweat roll down my face. But that's very interesting. I, I like that, Joe. That's very deep. Who knew? Joe Fabio, so deep. And believe it or not, my um, my mom used to ask me that question. Really, she used to say, "If if if you get better one day, she goes, what will be the first thing that you will do?" Right. And I used to tell her that I used to say, "I want one weekend of just being able to take my own shower, yeah, get out of bed when I want, get in and." I would probably get in and out of bed a hundred times all day, all day long. <laughs> and I would probably take 50 showers oh, boy. and jump in bed and roll in the bed and just eat my meal all different ways on the bed. And <laughs> I hear you. You know, it's people just take it so for granted, right, Joe? You'd throw your bowel program out the window you'd stand it you would gladly stand in front of the toilet and you know do your business and and with a big smile on your face right john john someone who's fiercely independent needs to ask 
for help. Yeah. For putting on a shirt. Isn't it the worst? That's hard to do. Yeah. You know, it's very, very hard to ask for help. Yeah. It's very hard to accept help and how graciously you accept it. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of challenges with being dependent. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you, truth be told, unfortunately, in the last year, I have had um, uh, things have really changed for me to the point where I was, as you said, really, really independent doing a lot of things. But uh, I'm needing more and more help with stuff. And it's really, you know, affected me. It's sort of effed with my head a little bit. And so I am... Why? And why is that? I'm just working through some stuff right now that you and I can, oh. uh, we could talk about off the air at some point. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the Joe Fabio that wants to go down the hill, but things have sort of changed, and so it's, you know, I'm taking on um, a whole new, uh, a whole new ball game here. But uh, I know exactly where you're coming from, and and it's nice to talk to somebody who's sort of in the same boat. Uh, our listeners that don't know, you know, what it's like. As I said earlier, it ain't easy. And so, um, but that's a great answer, Joe. I, I really like that. And and I just want to thank you again. We've been we've been friends for, as you said, almost 30 years. I was, my my 28th anniversary was uh, this past August. And I think, what was it, your, your 29th? Yes. Yeah. So we've known each other for a long time and we're, we're, uh, we've rekindled things. And, and now once the world is the world again, we're going to get together uh, I want to meet your, I think I did meet your wife back in 07, but I want to meet your son. Uh, and yeah. as a basketball coach, I want to come to a game. Um, I want to see what his first step looks like. And then I'll let him know if he could play on my team. Uh, ha ha, kidding aside. Yeah. But, uh, but thanks again, Joe, for, for not only coming on today, but, but being a friend um, and someone that I could laugh with and commiserate with for all these years. John, it's, it's honestly when when you had told me about what you were doing with the quadcast, I I knew right or right away. I said, "Wow, this this is a perfect fit for John." Yeah, it it really is you. And uh, today I was uh, honored to be a guest on your show because uh, it, things have really come full circle, and it's nice for the two of us to be able to experience that. And that will do it for this week's show. Thank you again to my dear old friend, literally and figuratively, haha, Joe Fabio, for joining me. Pay special attention to the outro music lyrics as they completely underscore what he is all about these days. Remember, you can find the Quadcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Overcast, Podchaser, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. That is eight places you can go to listen to my show. Hey, that rhymes. In the future, I am swinging for the fences on some big-time guests. Wish me luck and check back with us early and often. Until we meet again, I am John McAlevey, and I thank you for your time. I